Good evening, everyone. Um, lovely to have us here today um, for another lovely session of Open Book. Um, um, and I'm sure God is going to speak to us. I'm sure God is going to encourage us. Um, the psalmist says that God gives us wine to make our heart glad. He gives us oil to make our face shine. And he gives us bread to strengthen our hearts. Um, so, Lord, we thank you because you're about to feed us with your word, with your truth. Lord, we thank you because you're about to sanctify us. Sanctify us by your word, O oh Lord, for your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, because you're about to send truth to sanctify us. You are about to send truth to remove the blemishes that the lies of this world sometimes put on our garments. We thank you because you are about to remind us our identity in you, that we are chosen, we are loved, we are not forsaken. We thank you, Lord, because you are about to encourage us. We thank you, Lord, because you are about to teach us. Behold, you are God Almighty who teaches like you. Who teaches like you? Who gives knowledge like you? Who declares? Who, 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 who declares? Who declares his beauty and his presence like you? Lord, you are good. You are a teacher. Thank you because you're teaching us today. And Lord, we worship you. In Jesus' name. Um, before we start, we're just gonna ask God for understanding briefly. I'm just ask Lord, Lord, let your spirit of understanding, let it reign in this meeting in the mighty name of Jesus. Open our hearts, let us understand in the mighty name of Jesus. For the Son of Man has come, and he has come so that we might have an understanding. So Lord, let the understanding of your Son, let it be abundant in the mighty name of Jesus. Let there be understanding, let eyes be opened in the name of Jesus. Let feeble knees be strengthened in the name of Jesus. And let us that need to be encouraged to leave Babylon and to journey into you, let us be encouraged in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you because double-mindedness is destroyed in the mighty name of Jesus, and there's clarity and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so um, I'm privileged to share with us today, and I know I'm helped by the Holy Spirit um, and I know we'll be blessed because anyone that speaks should speak like uh, the oracle of God. So I know God will speak through my mouth and bless us in the mighty name of Jesus. So we can start. Um, I'm just going to be continuing from a bit from where um, um, Auntie Topper left the uh, last time she, she came, Auntie Tim Topper left last time she came, um, still on the topic of fruitfulness. Um, so um, I'm going to start from Matthew chapter 13. And I'm going to read from verse 35. And from 34 to 35, he says, these things all taken together, Jesus said to the crowd in parables, indeed, without a parable, he said nothing to them. This he said nothing to them. This was in fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables and I will utter things that have been hidden since the foundations of the world. So this introduces us to why Jesus spoke in parables. That part of the reasons he spoke in parables was to explicate or show secrets that were hidden since the foundations of the world. You know, and that's the reason why he spoke in parables. So when you look at the parables Jesus was teaching people, if you under, if we understand part of those parables, we understand things that have happened even since the foundation of the world. And one of the parables we'll be looking at now is um, as regards to fruitfulness is going to be Matthew chapter twenty five, and we're going to be looking at how this links to the foundation of the world or things that have happened to our ancestors and the foundation of the world. So Matthew chapter 25. So I'm not going to read everything because of time, but I'm just going to highlight some scriptures and I'll jump forward. 
So verse 14. For it is like a man who was about to take a long journey. He called and he called his servants together and entrusted them with his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each in proportion to his own personal ability. Then he departed and left the country. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them and he gained five more. And likewise, he who had received the two talents, he also gained two more. But he who had received one talent went, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. And he who had five talents came and brought him five more, saying, Master, you entrusted to me five talents. See, here I have gained five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, you upright. Um, the Amplified says, honorable, admirable, and faithful servant. For you have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in charge of much. Enter and share the joy, the delight, and the blessedness which your master enjoys. So I'm going to be skipping to verse 24. He who had received one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a harsh and hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had not winnowed the grain. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent on the ground. Here, have what is your own. But his, answer, his master answered him, you wicked, lazy and idle servant. Did you indeed know that I reap where I have not sown and gather grain where I have not winnowed? Then you should have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was on my own with interest. So take away the talent from him and give, to the, give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will be furnished richly so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. And throw the good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. Amen. So I'm going to stop here. So we see this parable, you know, and we see what happens to the last servant. He's unproductive. He was given one talent. He, he buries it to the ground and this is the judgment he receives from the master. I you know I'd always thought like, God, why so harsh? What was his wickedness? How was he? I could understand lazy, but wicked, I did not really understand it. Then I was like, the judgment too severe because at least what you gave him was in the condition it was when you gave it to him, you know. And I realized something about God. Um, anytime I, I one of the things um, God taught me in understanding scriptures is. Anytime I, I, I try and understand scripture, a secret told me was about God does not judge the actions of men alone. He judges the intents of the heart. God tries the heart. And there are a lot of scriptures that explain this. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it says um, gold is for the furnace, silver for the refiner, but God tests the heart. The book of Jeremiah 17, 10 also tells us that God tests the reins of the heart. Also, um, when David was handing over to Solomon, he reminded him that beware because the God you serve is the one that looks at the intent of the heart, you know. So anytime I look at scriptures and I'm bewildered by a judgment that was passed upon a particular character, what I try to look at is, can I see this person's heart process? Can I know this person's thinking pattern? Then maybe I will fully understand why this judgment was given to this person. You know, maybe I'll really understand what happened and maybe it will help aid my understanding. So sometimes I'm not so quick to jump at the action that, oh, it was so bad that he hid his talent. Oh, this, this, this. Why will he hide? I, I, I go to the, the, I try and understand from the standpoint of why did he hide his talent? What thought process motivated him to hide his talent? What was he thinking about? What inspired him to hide those talents, you know? And the beauty about this, particular parable is because the man himself explains his thought pattern. 
explains his thought pattern. And that's where we're going to be starting today on fruitfulness. He explains why he did what he did, which is very, very important. Um, and from that, we will learn a lot. So verse 24 says, when he who had received one talent also came forward, he's saying, Master, I knew you to be a harsh and hard man. So the first thing that the, the foundation of this man's decision was knowledge. He had a knowledge of his master. That was what made him act in the way he did. I knew you to do to be something. You know, so that's the first thing. Reap why you know, so garden where you are not, we know. So I was afraid. So the first, second thing we realized is there was a knowledge he had, and that knowledge produced something called fear in the man. And that fear led him to certain actions, to bury the talent in the ground. Um, you know, so I'm going to be starting from that place. So this servant knew something about his master that caused something called fear, and that fear made him act in a particular way. It made him act out in a particular way. So he knew something about the master that created fear, and it made him act in a particular way that was unfruitful. And you know, um, the one that did five talents and two talents did, did not have the chance to explain what made them run so hard, um, what made them run with passion, what made them run with strength to do their master's bidding. But from this, I can understand the opposite, that these people would have known something else about their master that would have produced a courage that will make them do something else. Because please, let's look at this thing logically. If your master is wicked and gave you his money and you lose his money, then you are in trouble. Like there's all, in, in trading, there's all, always a risk of losing money. And if you feel that the person that gave you the money in the beginning is a wicked person or is a harsh person, You'll be scared of losing his money logically, you know. So what he did was because he felt his master was hard and wicked. So he proceeded to do something because of the knowledge he had, you know. And this pushed him, obviously, to the actions that he did and the end result. Another thing I realized about this thinking pattern, and which made me realize something about fear, is that the end result of what he did why he did what he did was to escape his master's judgment. So when he hid the talent in the ground, he didn't expect his master to talk to him the way the master talked to him. He didn't expect the master to punish him. At least he expected the master to collect his, his, what he gave him back and maybe retain his position. You know, So he was running away from a certain reality. But unfortunately for him, the actions he employed to run away from that reality actually ensured that that reality came to fruition. So he was running away from his master's judgment. He was running away from his master's anger. He was running away from his master's displeasure. So he acted in a particular light. And unfortunately, what he did actually brought what he was running away from. You know, And I'm sure he would have been shell-shocked. I'm sure he would have been surprised. I'm sure he wouldn't have expected it. I'm sure it wouldn't have, he, 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 would, he would have been in disbelief. But it made me understand something about fear, the nature of something called fear. And the reason why I'm speaking about fear today is because fear is one of the tools of the enemy to empower fruitfulness and to empower productivity. The enemy employs the spirit of fear to ensure that we are not productive, you know. And so understanding the nature of fear, he acted in fear, but the thing he feared the most came upon him. Just for example, like what Job said in the Bible, the things are fed in the most have come upon me. And I've realized something very crucial about fear, that most of the times when we are afraid, it has the ability to create the reality that we are afraid of. Just like faith in itself has the ability to create a reality according to the desires and the intent of God. Fear in itself, when it is nurtured, when it is pampered, when it is allowed to grow, has the ability to provide the reality that we're trying to run away from. And this is what happened to this um, young servant. He was trying to run away from a particular judgment from his master, but this fear 
in to ensure that that judgment came. So it was like a self-fulfilling negative prophecy, you know, the fear that happened to him. And I looked through the Bible of people that were afraid and he led them into certain actions. And those actions brought about what they were afraid of. For example, there was a king called Jeroboam in the book of 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 25. Jeroboam, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 25. Now, the backdrop of this story here is that a word had gone against Solomon and Jeroboam had been given the kingdom and Jeroboam was just settling in his kingdom to reign. So, 1 Kings 11, verse 25. Yes. Okay, is it 11? Oh, sorry. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25. 12, sorry. 12, verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and beat Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. Now I'm going to stop here. So one of the things Jeroboam was afraid of was that he was afraid of losing the kingdom he just got. He just got this kingdom and he was afraid of losing it. If these people go to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to sacrifice, then the heart of these people will turn against me to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, the king of Juba. So the king took counsel and made two cows of wood, and he said to the people, it is too much for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, who have brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now look at the mindset of why Jeroboam introduced idolatry to Israel in his heart. He was like, I just got this kingdom. I can lose it. If these people are worshiping all the way with me, in, in this kingdom, and they are going all the way to Jerusalem to worship in the temple where, um, where Rehoboam is king. I can lose this kingdom. So because of fear of losing my kingdom, I'm going to do something else. Now, unfortunately, that action that he took created a reality that ensured his kingdom didn't last forever. So I can see how fear in itself is, 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 has the ability to create a reality those are trying to escape it it has the ability to create a reality from those that were trying to escape that certain reality. You know, look at the story of Solomon, for example. I, I, I gained another understanding of, of the story of Solomon. Why did he marry all the wives he married? You know, 700 wives, 300 concubines. And I realized something about it. In those days, marriage was to form treaties and peace. And, you know, one of the things God promised Solomon was peace all the time. That I'm going to give you wisdom that you ask for, but in addition to this, I'm going to give you, I'm, you're, you, you're not going to be attacked for you by your enemies and you're going to be rich, you know. And one of the things that bring riches is alliances. We saw the way Solomon got wealth from the king, queen of Sheba. She came and she gave him a lot of gifts, you know. So I'm sure she was not the only one that came to see Solomon for his wisdom. I'm sure people from other countries came to see Solomon for his wisdom. I'm sure people also dropped, oh, I'm Solomon, I like you so much because you're wife. Oh, I'm going to give you my daughter to be your wife. I'm going to give you my daughter to be your wife. And instead of Solomon trying to say no to these things because he wanted to be at peace with them, because he was... I believe, so I might be wrong, please. But what I see was someone that wanted to please people. So he gathered all these women as a bit to secure peace for trade and prosperity, which was against the covenant God gave to him. But you see that these actions actually created the reality that he was running away from. Now there's a, a book for, for um, we read in, in second, I read in my days in secondary school. I don't know if the book, um, it's still out. Um, they still read it now in secondary school. It, it's a book by Olaru Tumi. It calls is the name of the book is "The Gods Are Not to Blame," and um, it's quite an interesting book. It was um, it was um, it was adapted from a Greek um, a Greek um, story a Greek um, story about another character. And the, the, the thing was that a prophecy was given to a king that the child he just got will kill his mother and marry his father, you know. So the king hurriedly puts actions into place to snuff the life of that child and avert that prophecy. 
But in doing that, actually, all the actions that are put into motion actually fulfill that prophecy. So I see fear in itself, inside itself, has the ability, if we let it, to fulfill the prophecy of the things that we are running away from. And that's why one of the things God has told us is that he has not given us the spirit of fear. Um, if you're on this call, I'll just like you to type on, type on the chat group. I do not have the spirit of fear. I do not have the spirit of fear. And I want you to type, I have the spirit of love. I have the, I have the spirit of power, love, and sound mind. So um, you could just type that, type that there. So we, we could see that this was what happened. This servant was afraid of a certain kind of judgment and he, he enacted, um, it, it, it went in, in, in a direction that actually ensured that what he was running away fell upon him. Just like Job said, the things that I've heard the most have come upon me. And there are things that naturally um, the, the God has come to break off, the spirit of fear. For example, in the book of Hebrews chapter two, verse 15, one of the things Jesus came to do is to deliver us from the fear of death. Because the fear, he, he came to destroy the fear of death. Another thing that believers should not be feared, afraid of is the fear of hellfire. You know, um, the gospel of, there's a way, obviously we know um, 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 the lake of fire is a reality according to scriptures. We know that's the, 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 the end result of unbelievers. But you see, one thing I see from this scripture is like this believer, if I, explicate it and I say it in another way that God is the master, the believe the God is this master, the believers are the servants. One of the this I can say this guy's theology was like, I don't want to go to FIL. As far as I don't go to FIL, as far as I just enter heaven small. Anything that will make me avoid, okay, if I don't fornicate, God will not beat me. So I'll not fornicate. If I don't do, God will not beat me. Just escaping the judgment of God, you know, like C or E, you know, just escaping the judgment of God. That reality is something that will hamper productivity. And it, it comes from the knowledge of God as a tyrant. It comes from the knowledge of God as a bully. It comes from the knowledge of God as an oppressor. And sometimes when we invite these doctrines, by the way, we, 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 we take it. We are not saying there's no judgment for people that don't believe, we don't. We are not saying there's no judgment, but God does not want us to walk in fear. Now, see what the book of First John chapter four verse seventeen tells us about the spirit of fear. About fear, First John chapter four verse um, um, seventeen. It says, "In this union and communion with Him, love is brought into completion and attains perfection with us." And that we may have confidence for the day of judgment with assurance and boldness to face him because as he is, so are we in this world. He says there is no fear in love. The Amplified says dread does not exist. But full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of the door and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so who is he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love. He's not yet grown into love's complete perfection. So by having fear of judgment, our walk is not, we are not walking worthy of him. We are not fully pleasing him. According to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 to 12, we are not fully pleasing him. And one of the things God doesn't want us to walk in is fear. And fear is predicated on something. Like I said, the first thing this man had was knowledge of his master. And what that knowledge of his master produced was fear. So fear is based on a kind of knowledge. Fear is the foundation for fear is a kind of knowledge, you know. Um, I, I want to just read this parable again, and I want to see how the Bible says it in the book of Luke, the book of Luke. In the book of Luke chapter 19, um, I'm, I'm going to jump um, to verse 20. Then another came and said, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept and laid up in an handkerchief. For I was constantly afraid of you. 
because you are a stern, hard and severe man. You pick up what you did not lay down, you reap what you did not sow. And he said to the servant, I will judge and condemn you out of your own mouth. That's why we need to be careful of the things we say. You see, the children of Israel were so afraid of not being able to enter the promised land that that was their confession. Oh, God has brought me here to die. God has forsaken me. God has brought me to the wilderness to die. Ah, my children will not enter the promised land. Hey, I'm going to die in the, in, in the wilderness. Hey, God has brought me here to die. God has forsaken me. And he says, I will judge you based on the word of your mouth. It says, I will judge and condemn you out of your own mouth, you wicked slave. For you knew I was stern, hard and severe, picking up what I did not lay down, reaping what I do not sow. Why did you not put my money in a bank so that it may return and I commit collective interest? So I, I just want to ask, is even our the way we think we experience God, is it based on the things of, of, of our knowledge or our understanding? You know, I was looking at the journey of the children of, of, of Israel, you know, and um, Deuteronomy chapter 29, I think verse 4 says that God had not yet given them understanding uh, and understanding. Um, I think eyes to see and ears to understand and stuff like that. But their perception of God was of someone that was a tyrant, that when he appeared, they ran away. Only Moses had their heart to journey forward. And maybe their reality was, came from a wrong understanding or a wrong perception of God. And one of the things God greatly delights is when people truly understand him, when people know him. And so, like we said, the basis of fear is the wrong knowledge or the wrong perception of God. And God wants to destroy fear. And this perception will ensure that we are unfruitful. When we have the wrong knowledge of God, it will ensure that we are unfruitful. And like I said, the reason why Jesus gave this parable and the reason why he spoke to parables is because there were things that happened in the foundation of the world that he was trying to teach us. Now I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 3. And if you've been paying attention, you'll see some, some, some similarities between this and the parable of the talent. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to start from verse 9. But the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I hope that is, I hope that is ringing bells. And he said, who told you that you were wicked? Have you eaten of the tree which I've, not, I've commanded you not to eat? Now, see, see, see a similarity. The first person knew something about his master, so he went to hide himself. Now, also, this person, Adam, hears this voice of God, and now he's afraid, and he goes to hide himself. So when we have the wrong knowledge of God, we are afraid, and we go and hide himself, hide ourselves. And you're like, ah, Adam did not have the wrong knowledge of God. What was the, why did God ask, have you eaten of the tree which I've commanded you not to eat from? Because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What the first thing the tree did was to change their perspective about God, to change their imagination about God. And it was this knowledge that drove them into this location and which ensured that they, they, they were sent out of the garden. You see, um, even if God wanted Adam to stay in this garden, Adam would not be able to stay because of the knowledge, because God actually wanted Adam to stay in the garden. But Adam would not have been able to stay because of the knowledge he was operating by. Emmanuel, what do you mean by that? The Bible says that when the son of, the son of man came not to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. But he says this is the condemnation, that light appeared, but man, men ran away because their deeds were evil. That is in John chapter 3, I think from verse 17 to 19. So, what was the condemnation of Adam or what secured that he was not fit to say in the garden apart from disobeying God is that when God came, he ran away because his deeds were evil, you know? And you see, that is when the, the mission of God when he came to meet Adam was not to condemn Adam, it was to save Adam. And we can see that in Genesis chapter three, when, when God reels out the, the judgment against Adam, one of the things he institutes is the salvation of Adam. He says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. So I just want to encourage us, what knowledge do we have of God? And how does the knowledge of God we have currently, how does it amper our fruitfulness? What knowledge of God do we have concerning our finances? 
Because, for example, just like Jeroboam, if God gives us gives us a new job in a place that we didn't expect, because it's going to take us to houses that we did not build. It's going to take us to places where it's going to take us to a place where there there are houses that we didn't build, where there are vines that we didn't plant. Do you understand? But if we stay there, we stay there as people in faith, confident and assured in the salvation of our God. Or like Jeroboam, we'll start, start to scheme for ourselves. we start to do things for ourselves. Jeroboam did not believe that the God that gave him the kingdom will be able to keep the kingdom or be able to keep him and the kingdom. And so God wants us to build confidence in him. God wants us to have the right knowledge of him. You know, I'm going to give um, two um, examples or two stories that have affected, or, or one story that has affected me personally. I remember one time I was at work and there was um, a scarcity of hands, and I was I, I had to do um, a, part, a, a job description that wasn't part of my job description. I had to collect customer orders, and because I had not done that before, I was so scared of making a, a mistake. And particularly, I the colleague or the manager in that department was someone that I knew that if you make a mistake, she talks very harshly or rudely to you. So I was just so scared of that thing. So I was like, oh God, I don't want to make a mistake. Oh God, I don't want to make a mistake. So any order I collect from a customer, I'm going to check it three times, four times. Oh, I'll go over it. Didn't make a mistake. And one thing happened, an order came and usually, if the person that gives you the order is below a certain age group, they are entitled to a certain discount. So when the order came, the customer told me that, oh, this person is below this age. She's below 12. For example, let's say the age is 12. So she's entitled to a 25% discount. So I gave the discount out and the transaction was called close. Now the person that brought this order was even so afraid because it was a big order. And she was like, oh, there are no mistakes with this order. She'll call me and check that hope I hope everything will be fine when my customer wants to use it and everything. And, you know, I just still had this fear of how oh, I will not make a mistake. Hope I didn't make a mistake. Now, out of the blues, this girl just calls me and says, in the night, says, Emmanuel, I've made a mistake on this order. I knew I was going to make a mistake on this order. And she just, I mean, so I just said, wow, I knew I was going to make a mistake on this order also. And I was just so discouraged and I was down and I was sad. I said, I knew this would happen to me. I knew. And thoughts just started flooding my mind. Emmanuel, why is it always you? And trust me, it's not always me. <laughs> I don't know. But you know when the devil comes, you just feel like it's always you. Why do you always make mistakes? The, the devil just started bombarding me with negative thoughts. I just started to laugh and I check. I should have checked. I should have cross-checked again, you know, and everything. So I was like, okay, how am I going to hide this thing that I've done? I don't want the boss of that department to know. So I went to our subordinates, which were my friends, and I was like, oh, look, I've made a mistake, guys. How, how can we do this for sure? And they said, okay, tell the client to pay the remaining 25, return the discount that you that was given, and don't worry, we'll help you sort it out. And that's what happened. The discount was restored and everything. Do you believe days later, the client just calls me and says, Mano, I didn't make a mistake. Oh, the child is actually 12. And the funny thing was that she sent me the biodata page of this child. And I was like, when she came with fear, why didn't I first go and look at the, bio, the, the passport page and look at the age of this child? What happened was fear had paralyzed me. It had paralyzed my faculties. It made me not think at all. And what happened was, the discount, unfortunately, when the, the client paid the 25% the back, I could not return it again because it's not possible again. It's an optional discount, you know. But what I just saw in that, circumstance was this even a reality that did not exist or even a mistake that did not exist because i was afraid fear created that mistake for me and i don't know that, that sometimes the enemy gives us reason to fear maybe fear of children fear of job fear of provision and this fear leads us to act in negative patterns that ensures even repetitive negative cycles which god wants to break generational unbelief which is so dear to the heart, that the Lord of the, the um, to the heart of the Lord that He wants to break, that He wants to break, He wants to set us free, and the Lord has come to set us free, in Jesus' name. So, like we said, wrong knowledge will bring fear all the time. But as wrong knowledge brings fear, 
Guess what brings faith, everybody? The right knowledge brings faith. The right knowledge brings faith. The right knowledge about God. When the people that know their God will be strong and they will do exploits, the right knowledge brings faith. So imagine if you're on a plane, for example, you're on business class on a plane, you know, and they brought champagne to you. I said, no, I don't bring champagne because I don't know. Some Christians believe champagne. Bless us. I don't bring champagne. I'll drink juice. She said, oh, um, see how business class, I just relaxing on your way to Barbados, on your way to America, I don't know where, on your way to Brazil. I had just chilling there, enjoying yourself. And suddenly news comes that almost the two pilots that were driving the plane, they are or flying the plane, they are fainted though, and we had 35,000 or 60,000 feet. What would that knowledge introduce to the, to the person ordinarily? Fear. Suddenly, you that were in business class, that you were chilling with cold AC, sweat just begins to drip from your head from anywhere. Sometimes you start, you start begin to say your last prayer. Hey, you start remembering your sins, any sin that will not make me, you know, you start, trepidation. Your heart begins to pump. Okay, when this happens, Imagine someone just, just gets up and says, oh, sorry, we just found out a passenger on this plane has 30 years of experience in flying this particular aircraft. And even trained pilots have flew this aircraft. His, his, his recommendations are so good and beautiful. And he says, yes, this is me. See my recommendations. I'm here, I'll fly the plane. Don't worry, I can land this. This is a piece of cake. What will happen? Fail. Why? New knowledge has come. New information has come. And so, Fear is generated by the knowledge that we get. And that knowledge is sponsored by who we listen to. And so faith is also generated by the knowledge that we get and who we listen to. There's a word of faith. There's a spirit of faith. He speaks faith to our hearts. When we hear him, faith comes by hearing and hearing God. When we hear God, he removes the negative knowledge of fear. We watch CNN. He tells us about COVID. He tells us about this. He tells us about that. We hear God and he tells us of who we are in Christ Jesus. He tells us of divine health. He tells us of prosperity. He tells us of our nature in Christ Jesus. He tells us that we have been delivered of the, from the kingdom of darkness and we have been translated into the kingdom of this dear son. He tells us that we have been forgiven. He tells us we have been forgiven. He tells us we have been set free. He tells us that we are, we are sons. He tells us we have an inheritance. He tells us that who the son sets free is free indeed. And what comes to, into our heart is faith. So this, this growth comes from knowledge. This growth comes from knowledge. And the Lord wants to ensure that we are fed with the right knowledge. The Lord wants to ensure that we, we, we listen to him and we get the right knowledge. Um, I'll, tell, I'll, 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 I'll say one more story about fear, then I'll move on to faith. I don't want to dwell too much about the danger of fear. I want to move on to faith. So there was a story about a man in France. He went to France to fish. I like traveling stories. So he went to France to fish and he was at the river catching fish, you know. So uh, he went to France and he saw a river, sorry, and he drank from the river. And as he was drinking from the river, he was so thirsty. He looked up and he saw a signboard that said poison. And immediately saw this. Wow. He just started convulsing. He had drunk poison. He started convulsing. He started shaking. It was so they rushed him to the emergency unit. And they were like, what happened? What happened? He said, I drank poison. I drank poison. They said, where did you drink the poison? I said, I went to the river. And I didn't know that river was flowing with poison. And I drank poison. And they told him, which river? And he said, that river, this, he, he described the river. And said, what did you see? He said, poison. So they said, actually, what he saw was P-O-I-S-O-O-N, which means poison which is fish. They were just telling him warning, there are fishes in this river. And the actions or the symptoms of someone that are taking poison because of fear were all upon him. And when this new information came that oh, what they were just warning me about was that there were fishes in the river, all the symptoms of, of the poison disappeared. You know, but briefly or uh, moving on to faith, because we are children of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God wants us to, to ensure that we are people of faith. And when we have the right knowledge, just like the people that have 
five, um, that five talents and two, two talents will be productive and fruitful. When we have the right knowledge, the right knowledge will breed fruitfulness. Just as the wrong knowledge brought laziness. You know, sometimes some people, you think some people are lazy. They are not actually lazy. Sometimes they just unbelief. They believe what do their actions actually change. Just like the wrong, the, the, the wrong action, the wrong knowledge will bring fear. The right knowledge will always bring faith and will always bring fruitfulness. I'm, I'm going to read one scripture, and I believe God wants to help us with the scripture. For anyone that's, that's dealing with fear, including myself, what the Lord wants to tell us today is that he is not rejecting us, that he wants to encourage us. He is the spirit that encourages us. And what the Lord is telling us to come, that we be patient to stay with him and wait for him to encourage us. David was one that mastered this principle. His courage was not from the soldier he had or the battle skill he had. He was one that was able to wait in the presence of the Lord to be encouraged. And the way the Lord emphasized this to me was in the story of Gideon in the, in the book of Judges. I just want you to read the scripture with me in the book of Judges chapter 6. Um, oh, it's, I don't know why I'm, it's actually the book of Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. So Gideon, we know God has seen Gideon. He was a scared guy. God encouraged him so much. And God, now he had gathered an army of 10,000. And God told him to reduce the army. And the first thing he did to reduce the army was that the people that were afraid, he says, so, it, so see verse three, so now proclaiming the ears of the men saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him turn back and depart from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 men returned and only 10,000 men returned. So 22,000 men because of fear were, were, were disconnected from the, from, the, from, the, from, from the company of God. And you believe that, oh, so the, that means Gideon was such a brave man. But see what God said to, to, to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 9. Judges chapter 7, verse 9. Read this carefully. I want us to read this carefully. Judges 7, 9 to 10. That same night, the Lord said to Gideon, Arise, go down against their camp, for I have given it to your hand. But if you fear to go down, go with Pura, your servants, to the camp. And you shall hear what they say. Afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servants, to the output of the camp of the young man. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the camp of the young man. If Gideon wasn't, I'm sure Gideon would be like, am I not crazy? I had 30,000 people. I reduced them to 300. Is it God that spoke to me or am I, am I hearing nonsense? I'm sure Gideon was like, oh God, how am I going to do this? So I'm sure there was fear in his heart somewhere. And God said, if there's fear in your heart, go to the camp and hear something and you'll be strengthened. So the people that left, the people, Gideon is not as if, why Gideon was permitted to stay in the army of the Lord, it's not that he was totally, he didn't have the feelings of fear. It's because he chose to stay with God to receive encouragement from him. And I believe God is saying this to a lot of us now, that his, his, his desire is stay with me and let me encourage you. God is a good encourager. He's the one that told um, um, Joshua, only be strong and be courageous. He's the one that encouraged Joshua. And sometimes God gives us signs and wonders to encourage us. He says, Joshua, go to the sea, you see it to encourage us. God gave Moses signs to encourage us. Encourage him. And God is not tired of encouraging his people. He said, these are the signs that will follow them that believe. One of the things he's making those signs to follow us that believe is to encourage us. And God wants to encourage us. God wants to encourage us. I just want to hammer on this, that God wants to encourage you. God wants to encourage you. God is calling me. God is calling me into the secret place because he wants to encourage me. God wants to fill me with encouragement. He wants to encourage me. So I just want us to take our five minutes and I just want us to pray. For I want us to pray as a company that none of us will be left behind because of fear. I want you to pray for your wives, your husbands, your children, that none of us will be left behind because of fear, that we will stay in the presence of God till he encourages us. 
We are going to be praying for grace to stay in the presence of God to receive courage. Lord, let there be strength to give you our attention, to give you our ear so that you encourage us. Lord, Lord, give us the grace to stay with you so that we are encouraged. Lord, strengthen us, oh Lord, in the secret place so we can wait till you encourage us. Lord, we are like men that have cried because I don't know someone that has lost their wives and children. He says, the men of David, they, they cried like men. They, they, they cried until there were no tears again. They even thought of stoning David. But David also was in that predicament. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his possession. But David could stay in the presence and says, Lord, I open up myself to you. Encourage me. David said, I stay, oh Lord, I open up myself to you. Encourage me, Lord. Because you never leave me, you never forsake me, Lord. I open up myself to you, encourage me. Lord, I stay in your presence, Lord. I am scared, but I stay with you, encourage me. Lord, I've listened to CNN too much. I've listened to the news too much. I've listened to stories too much of even Christians that have failed and Christians that have lost a lot, oh Lord. But I stay and I say, encourage me. Lord, I say, encourage me, encourage me. Speak the words only you speak, oh Lord. Words of faith, oh Lord. Lord, I ask, oh Lord, for everyone on this call, if they need signs by dreams, if necessary, if they are Gideonites here, Lord, that need signs by dreams, by visions, by prophetic words, oh Lord, let this be a, let this be an ignition to a point of encouragement. Let the spirit of counsel that encourages, let it begin to find operation and fruition in us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, because there's encouragement. Thank you, Lord, because there's encouragement. Thank you, Lord, because the spirit of courage has its expression in us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, because there's encouragement. Thank you, Lord, because there's encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Father. In Lord, let there be fire on our altars, oh Lord, till we receive encouragement from you. Lord, those of us that have run away from Jezebel, Lord, give us food that will make us walk upon mountains for 40 days. Help us to come to the place where we hear your whispers of encouragement in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, help us, O oh Lord. Send us, encourage us with what only you can encourage us. The Bible says of Moses that he was a man of deed and strength, but he was so discouraged that he became a stammerer. But God knows how to capture him. So he appeared to him in a burning bush. The Lord that captivates the heart of people. The Lord is an encourager. The Lord is for you. The Lord is for me. The Lord is not against us. The Lord is for us. The Lord is for us. The spirit of boldness is coming upon us this time in the name of Jesus. We are people that wait to be encouraged. We are people that choose faith over fear in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit of encouragement. Thank you, Lord, because it's his through in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. So the Lord is an encourager. Um, I'll just end with um, these few scriptures of fruitfulness. One of the things about fruitfulness is Psalm 1. See what Psalm 1 says. It says, um, it says, blessed is the man, you know, and Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but, uh, okay, thank you so much. Blessed is the man, fortunate and prosperous, enviable is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, purposes, nor stands submissive, inactive in the path where sinners walk, nor sits down to re relax where scorners and the mockers gather, but his delights. So this man doesn't sit down to meet people and say, ah, the economy is bad though, I don't know how to survive. Only 30, is now 300. Ah, hey, this economy, I'm finished. Oh, this one doesn't say, ah, school fees is now no. This man doesn't sit there. He says, but his delight and desire in the law of the Lord. And on his law, precepts, instruction, and the teachings of God, he habitually meditates, ponders, studies day by day and by night. Verse 3. And it shall be like a tree firmly planted and tended by the streams of water, ready to bring forth his foot in season. His leaves shall also not fade or wither. Everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. Not so those disobedient walking with. So now this is where I want to come. He talks, he describes this man as a tree that is connected to living waters. 
to a river of water and brings forth his food. So this man that meditates on God's law day and night, that listens to God day and night, is like a tree that is connected to a river. And because of this, he is fruitful. Why do you think Jesus says things like, abide in me and let my words abide in you? When we let his words abide in us, we bear fruit. The Bible says in Mark chapter 3, he says, he called them to be with him first before he sent them forth. So the key to fruitfulness is staying with the Lord to abide and drink from his rivers. The psalmist will say in Psalm, I think 36, he says, I'm abundantly satisfied with the fullness of God's house. And I drink from the rivers of his pleasure. David is, is drinking from the rivers of his pleasure. And that is the secret to this fruitfulness of David. Revelation chapter 22 shows us this, this scripture in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a pristine way. He says, then he showed me the river whose waters give life, sparkling like crystal, flowing out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. He, through the okay sorry okay um I'm, I'm i'm closing in a in a few minutes and he says and he says the river of life which brings forth fruits um which which, which brings forth fruits in and leaves and the trees were for the healing of the nations so revelations 22 is telling us of this tree also that this tree is connected to a river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. I want you to pay attention to that. There's a river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And this river in it has life. And this river causes a tree to be fruitful and bring forth its fruit in due season. I'm going somewhere with this. Now, what does this river carry? The Bible talks of this river in John chapter 7. Um, it talks on, the, on verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, Jesus cried out. He says, anyone who is thirsty, come to me. And he who believes with me, he says, out of him shall flow rivers of living water. And he says, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. So this river that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb is the Spirit of God. It flows into, so when we meditate on the word of God, we are meditating of the, on the Spirit of God. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and life. Inside the word of God is the spirit of God. And when the spirit of God enters us, it causes us to be fruitful trees. Now, what I want to talk about, like I said, you know, I started from knowledge, having the knowledge to bring fruitfulness. But see how the spirit of God operates. Or see the reality, John 17. And this is the last scripture I'll read before we, I pray I will read. Don't let me make any promises before we end. John 17. Verse one to three. When Jesus lifted up um, verse three, and this is eternal life. So this is the eternal life. You know, um, some Revelation 22 says this river is a river of life. This river in it contains life. So he says, this is eternal life to know God, to, to perceive, recognize, become acquainted with, understand you, the only true God, and likewise to know Christ. So there's a river that flows from God and from the, and, and from the Lamb. And this river in it has eternal life. This river carries the knowledge of God. So when we know God, it brings fruitfulness into it. When we know God, when we ingest the knowledge of God, what happens is that it builds faith in us. Which oh. So tree imbibes water. It becomes, in, by eating water, by the tree allowing water enter into it, faith is built in the tree and the tree grows up and it builds up fruits. So the same thing, as we invite the knowledge of God that flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the true knowledge of God, what it happens is that we become fruitful. God wants us to know him. And the knowledge of God, things like, for example, grace and peace is multiplied to us by the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is like the goodness of God, how good God is to you. God is good. We do not serve a hard and a wicked master. We serve a good master and we serve him because of love. We do not serve him out of fear, but we serve him out of love. And we serve him based on the understanding that he loved us first. Oh. This, this, this person that gave this talents to his servants, his servants did not beg for it. They were gifts of grace to his servants. He showed them grace by giving them this talent. And we realized that his intention for his, 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 his servants was far greater than they could ever imagine. Far greater than anything that could, they could ever ask or think. 
I'm sure maybe the one with five will have been thinking, if I multiply the five and make it 10, maybe the, my master can tell me, if my master wants to be good to me in this Nigeria, in this life, my master wants to be good to me. The goodness of the master is that he would just allow me to keep what I have multiplied. It was not my money to be in the first place. He gave me, I've multiplied. If my father, ah, my master, if he's good to me, I just pray my master would dash me this money. But what was the master's intention towards them? To give them cities. When we know God, he breeds faithfulness to us. And God wants us to know that he is good. He wants to know that he's us to know that he's kind. He wants to know. And that's why Paul always chases that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him. That's why Ephesians chapter 3 says, I want to know the depth of his love towards me. Because this is it. He first loved me, not that I loved him. He first called me, not that not, not he first loved me. You know, the Old Testament, the, the, the idea of the Old Testament first was love God, love God, love God, love God, love God, with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your love God, love God, love God, love God. But which is true, you are meant to love God. But the idea of the New Testament is God loves you, receive his love first. In your receiving his love and understanding the love that you have received, imagine you'll be able to replicate it and love him back. You have received the love of God has been shed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. This, the Bible says the, the Old Testament, they did not have ears to hear. They didn't have eyes to see. Why? Because the love of God was not shed abroad in their hearts. And God doesn't want us to be like that now. He wants us to receive love. In receiving his love, in meditating on his love, we respond back in love to him. We worship him. We meditate on how much he loves us. So Jesus gave a, a parable, and this is where I truly am. Jesus gave um, a parable to Simon the leper when a, a woman came and wiped his feet. He says, Simon, I came to your house. You did not offer me water. He says, you did not wash my feet. See this woman, see what she has done. And he, he told Simon a parable. He said, there was a certain debtor. There are certain debtors. One was forgiven 50 and one was forgiven 500. Who do you think will love more? And Simon replied, oh, the one that was forgiving more will love more. So when we understand the love and the forgiveness of God, we can love him. To the degree you understand the love God has for you is the degree you'll be able to love God. God wants you to love him with knowledge. The book of Romans says that the, I know the, my brothers in Israel, they have a lot of zeal, but they don't have knowledge. So it became a stumbling block. God wants to know us to know how much we are loved. In that knowledge, we love him. In that knowledge, we are not looking to escape hellfire. In that knowledge, when we know how much we are loved, it compels us. We can offer our bodies to be burnt. We can stay in martyrdom because we are loved. We are loved children. So we can give everything because we are loved. That is why Paul says, if you don't have this knowledge and you give everything, it doesn't profit you nothing. But when you truly have this knowledge, you say, what is, what is being a Benjamite? What is being a Pharisee? I consider it dung for the excellency of the love of God. God bless us in Jesus' name. So the last prayer we're going to pray is, Lord, I want to come into depth of your love. I'm, I'm just going to read it verbatim. We pray, we pray this prayer together as a company. Um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. Um, we're just going to pray. And the prayer, I want us to pray that, Lord, we want to know how much you love us. We want to know how much, I want to know how much I am loved. I want to know, you know, and I, I just, I feel so on this call, you have gotten to a point, you feel God is using you. You are working so hard and you feel God is using you. And maybe I feel that way sometimes. And God wants to recondition my mind. You are not used, you are loved. You are not a servant that they use. You are not a house girl that they use. No, you are a son. You have inheritance. You have inheritance. For this reason, seeing the greatness of this plan which you have built together with Christ, I bow my knees before the Father. So is our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That, that Father, whom all fathers take his title and derive his means, that I may grant you out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, himself indwelling your inner man. May Christ through faith dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your heart. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love, that you may have the power and to be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, 
God devoted people, the experience of that love, what is the bread, and length, height, and depth on it, that you may really come to know, to practically experience for yourselves, the love of Christ, which far passes mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being, all to the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence, and become a body holy filled and flooded by God himself. So let's begin to pray, Lord, I want to know the dimensions of your love. We end by this. Let's pray as a company. I want this to be our voice. You know, the Bible says when two or three are gathered, he's there. It says when two of you agree on a matter. So I want to pray prayer of agreement in one boy. That Lord, as a company, we want to know your love. As a company, we want to know how much we are loved. Minister your love to us afresh again. We want to know how deep that love is. We want to know how wide that love is. We want to know how high that love is. Lord, minister your love to us afresh again. Some of us have walked and walked and walked and we are tired. There's the there's the there's the death of the smoke that is on our priestly garments. Lord, wash us up, wash us again, fill us again. Let us know that we are loved. Even in our prophetic assignments, in our pastoral assignments, in our callings, let us move back to the ship from the place of love. Help us know that we are loved. Help us know that we are loved. Let us speak in tongues. Let us speak in tongues of angels and of men. And let us know that we are loved. Let us have faith that moves mountains. Things, that you bear with us. Help us to know that we are loved. Help us to know that we are loved. Help us to know the depth of the Lord, the height of the Lord, the width of the Lord. Help us to know that we are loved. It can be a breaker, but love is the greatest. Help us to know your love, which is the greatest force, the greatest power that you have for us. Help us to know that we are loved. Help us, O Lord, as a company. Let your love flow through us. Help us to minister from a place of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, are there any questions or anyone wants to share anything? Um, um, thank you. Um, if, if not, we can go. Communion. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, see another expression of God's love towards us. The communion is the expression of love towards us. The Bible says that Jesus lifted it up. Uh, Mama called me Pastor Emmanuel. <laughs> Mama, I am not dead. <laughs> okay, so the communion is an expression of God's love towards us. So I want us to get the communion wherever we are. Um, Let's get the communion wherever we are. Um, and um, what we're going to do, you know, Jesus said that this communion signifies the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And what is as the, the meaning of the covenant? It's being shared for the forgiveness of our sins. Mm-hmm. God wanted to show how much he loved us that he forgave us. For the co- communion is a token of God's love towards us. So I want us to take the communion, which is his flesh, and I want us to take um, the water. Um, the, 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 um, something, water, which is wine. And Lord, we lift this unto you. You said we should do this in remembrance of you. Why should we remember you? We remember how much you loved us, that you died for us. We remember the love that, that was so great that you endured the pain of death. You endured the pain of shame. You endured, you endured, you endured, you endured, you endured because you wanted to forgive us. Because you wanted to wipe away our iniquities. You loved us so much. You wanted to serve us. And so, Lord, we take your, your body. And, Lord, we say thank you for your body. Thank you, Lord. We remember your sacrifice. So we can take the bread. Can take the bread. My own bread is chocolates. <laughs> so we can take the bread. Um, so um, as we've taken the bread... Um, we can take the wine, 
and my wine is water. Jesus turned water to wine. So forgive me. So we can take the wine. So Lord, thank you for your blood. Thank you because you have shed for the remission of our sins. Thank you, Lord, that through it we have salvation. And we thank you because it's now speaking better things than that of Abel. Abel, it is crying our justification, our salvation, our redemption. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. So we can share the grace now. So let's omit our might and share the grace together. The great of the Lord Thank you, Pastor Emmanuel. Thank you, Pastor Emmanuel. God bless you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Oh, dear.